0: Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Because we're online today, we don't have any handwritten notes handed out. But those of you that are more kinesthetic learners or visual learners, go ahead and grab a piece of paper. I do have notes I'm just going to give them to you verbally to fill out. a total of four points today. Number one, don't look for hope in godless governments, movements, and cultures because racial hatred will only get worse as nations abandon their creator. I know that was wordy. I'm gonna say it again. We're talking about Hope 2020. So first point is deconstruction. I don't want you to look for hope. Do not look for hope in godless governments, movements, and cultures. Because racial hatred will only get worse as nations abandon their creator. Now, if you're more politically on the right, this is a point where I need to press in on you a little bit. And I've I've raised my hand, you know, before with you guys, and I've told you I'm pretty conservative myself. So this is really a point for me as well. Some of us who are on the right, if, if we take things really extreme right now some of the real extreme right is saying something that I just don't believe we can say biblically and is to say uh, I don't believe there's any racism in America at all that's a really extreme position and I want to encourage you if that happens to be something that's in your mind and heart I want you to reject it and I don't want you to reject it because of what's in the news I want you to reject it because of sound theology over what the Bible tells us about our hearts that our hearts are desperately wicked uh, Romans one and two that we as human beings we take the truth of God and we exchange it for a lie, or heck even if you weren't um, even if you weren't um, looking at the theology of the New Testament just look at the history of the Old Testament. Uh, Israel was enslaved by Egypt now more than three thousand years ago. So, if we want to talk about the racism of America and even try to follow a historical footprint back to the transatlantic slave trade, ask ourselves what things are still affected, what is still hurting, what is still um, systemically broken, you want to ask yourself that. That's all well and good. But let's not pretend that we as Americans keep doing this. We keep operating as if the transatlantic slave trade was the beginning of all slavery. It wasn't. The people of God were enslaved more than 3,000 years ago. This has happened over and over and over. Since when? Well, since humanity rejected God, really. We rejected God in Genesis 3. and You know what happens in Genesis 4? Cain is able to view his own brother with such a lack of dignity, lack of respect for being an image bearer of God, that he's able to murder him out of his anger. So doing terrible things to each other, this is as old as sin. This is really, really old. And uh, when God took Israel out of slavery, he gave us the law, the first five books of the Bible. And he says this, turn, this is why I had you turn to Deuteronomy 24, you to look at this. This is really interesting. Verse 20, chapter 24, verse seven. God telling Israel what, what's right and wrong, basically. Verse 7, if anyone kidnaps a fellow Israelite and treats him as a slave or sells him, the kidnapper must die. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. Is that intense or what? Whatever your beliefs are about, uh, oh, that was old covenant, or this is new covenant, or whether or not we believe in death penalty still or whatever, God is serious as a heart attack about the enslaving of other people. He says, enslaving, that's what a pagan nation just did to you. Pharaoh did that to you. You will not do that to each other. This is not happening, okay? And let's check it out. In the exact same chapter, go down to verse 16. its I'm telling you guys, this is why I asked you to pray for yourself. It's going to get real here. Verse 16, same list of, same grouping of ethical ideas for the people of God. Parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children nor children for the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. Now here's where I'm glad that we're not physically present because I'd be getting my tires slit by somebody. How are you going to tell me that today's calls for reparations for slavery do not violate what God just said in Deuteronomy? Guys, I need you to understand, I'm heartbroken over this, okay? I listened to pastors this week that I love and trust, and one of them I care about very deeply and trust deeply with his exegesis. And last week he called for reparations for slavery. What? The sons do not die for the sins of their fathers. No. So some of us need to stand up, take a deep breath, and say, yes, slavery happened. Yes, it happened amongst a bunch of people who called themselves Christians, heaven help us. Yes, the transatlantic slave trade was shut down by Christian abolitionists. Let's look at all of history, right? It was awful, it had real consequences. I think we should probably argue that it still has some consequences today. But the idea of, I am of European descent, and I'm going to write a check to you of African descent because my forefathers sinned against your forefathers, is utterly unbiblical. It's not even a matter of whether it's logical to us or not. It is not biblical. You do not punish the son for the sins of the father. God just said so. And you don't enslave people. So all of it's sinful. The transatlantic slave trade and the stuff that flows out of it, sinful. Absolutely no excuses should be made and, frankly, no excuses should be made for the southern pastors in the 19th century that abused and maligned the Bible to try to say somehow that slavery was acceptable morally. That was an abomination. And sitting here, you know, trying not to commit what Lewis called chronological snobbery I'm sitting here trying to not be furious at my white brothers and sisters from 160 years ago going, how on earth did you teach the Bible that way? How on earth could you say, I don't get it. We need to say, yes, everything related to the enslavement of a people is completely wrong. The hatred, uh, disrespect of a human being that would do that, 100% wrong. And no, you can't punish generations later. That, That just doesn't make sense. Biblically, you can't, God does not allow it. Now, let, let me land the dismount so I don't leave anybody listening in, in this tension for too long. Let me solve it right now from biblical uh, our, what our beliefs are biblically. Uh, I keep talking to you guys. I've been talking for two years about trusting God, trusting God, trusting God. God has made it so clear in his word that he is going to deal with sin. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. He is going to deal with sin in one of two ways. He's going to take the person who sold his brother in Ghana into slavery because he was a part of a a neighboring tribe that they were at war with. He's gonna take him or the Portuguese guy that took him across or the British guy that bought slaves when they arrived in the Bahamas. All of these traffickers, they're going to spend an eternity apart from God suffering in torment called hell, because they absolutely rejected the authority of God over any part of their life. They did not want the love of God. They did not want the mercy of God. They rejected the cross of Christ to wash away their sins. God will send that person to hell and has. 19th century slave traders that did not repent of their wickedness, they're in hell right now. I know that's not popular to say, but this is frankly gonna give us our answer for the transatlantic slave trade that we're crying for justice. We're not admitting right now that traffickers are in hell right now. The almighty God right now is dealing with the the transatlantic slave trade. The only reason we're sitting here in 2020 clamoring for justice and there need to be reparations is because we have walked away from God. We have abandoned the Bible. We don't really believe it's true. If we believed it's true, we would trust that Jesus right now, Lord over heaven and hell, Lord over earth, Lord of the cosmos, offered mercy and forgiveness to traffickers, and those that rejected that mercy are being judged right now. America, you cannot provide more perfect justice to traffickers than Jesus Christ does. You can't. You need to trust the almighty and just God who right now is doling out justice on every enslaver. And the second way that he deals with sin is he offers his son as a perfect sacrifice on the cross 2,000 years ago that all who believe would receive the mercy of God and Christ's righteousness would be given to them that their guilt would be taken from them and nailed to the cross with Christ. Whether an enslaver from the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century, an enslaver trusted Christ and allowed Christ's blood to pay the, the penalty of their sin, or they chose to go to hell to pay for their own sin, either way, the sin has been dealt with perfectly in God's infinite wisdom, in his infinite love. The transatlantic slave trade is being dealt with. And we need to trust our creator, our judge, and our savior. We need to trust him, brothers and sisters. This in no way, this in no way means that there is not room for proactive mercy and compassion on the part of the church generations later. If there is still brokenness in the culture, by all means, let's get creative, let's get generous, and let's serve. Those of us that are uh, more on the conservative side of things—so if you're more liberal, you didn't like what I just said. You—you're you, you, politically speaking. You want—you think reparations is justice, and I'm just telling you, no, God is justice. Those of you who are more on the right, I—I know. So here's something else. Those that are more on the right, we have a nasty tendency of denying that the past can still have sociological effects broken down family unit effects five generations deep. And if you're more on the right, I want to encourage you to open up your mind, open up your heart to the idea that even if you are not guilty of enslaving somebody, yes, there can absolutely be effects in the culture generations later. It really can, really can. Uh, Even just something practical, like how often today in American politics does somebody get compared to Hitler? If I think that somebody is behaving in a totalitarian way, I just call them Hitler or allude that they're Hitler. Listen, Hitler's been dead for three generations. But him raising an army and starting a world war has marked us deeply to be American in 2020. World War II is very much a part of our cultural ethos, our cultural story of who we are as Americans, what we are as Americans. Generations later, things still affect us. And if you're more on the right, I want to encourage you to have a very open heart, a very open mind, that it is very possible that there is brokenness inside African-American families that really can be tied to brokenness from the generation before, where I didn't have perhaps godly parents married to each other, maybe the institution of marriage was abandoned long ago, that was tied to brokenness from the generation before. That was tied to brokenness from the generation before. I wanna encourage you to at least be open to the idea. That's not an idea that is assigning blame. That's not an idea that in any way takes personal responsibility away from a person, right? We are all of us responsible for ourselves. But it is okay to look at culture and say, yeah, I see how this brokenness is going to linger around if mercy doesn't enter in. And mercy needs to enter in. We need to get creative and we need to serve. Secondly, for you note takers, find hope. Hope in the midst of racial strife. Find hope by remembering that racial reconciliation is the inheritance of the church. You want to find hope? Remember that racial reconciliation is the inheritance of the church. Now, I don't mean it's the total inheritance. The, the primary inheritance of the church is that we get God. We are his and he is ours. But there are a lot of pieces of the inheritance that flow out of that. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. i want to show you some things. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 11. This is the Apostle Paul, an early church father, first century, writing to Christians in a large, influential city in modern-day Turkey. Talking to Christians. Don't forget that you Gentiles, so ethnically just non-Jews, used to be outsiders, But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus. Sorry, through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Amen? Man, trying to understand, I, I, those of you who've been in church for a, a while, you know this better than, than others of us who are newer to church, or maybe have never darkened the door of a church. There was a lot of hatred flowing in and around Israel where you you the lines were so blurred as to whether it was ethnic hatred, or religious hatred, or governmental hatred. So let me explain briefly where this was all coming from. The jewish faith of the day part of how they interpreted messiah was that one was going to rule on the throne of david in a physical earthly sense and so they would not be ruled by other groups accordingly because they'd been invaded by rome just a generation earlier and they'd been invaded by other groups before that they naturally believed messiah was going to push out the legions of rome and and caesar would not be lord uh, as as most groups not the jews but most groups had to confess Once they got conquered by Rome. So Jesus comes, lives the life that you and I should have lived, dies the death we should have died, raised to life on the third day, sends out his church, says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Paul is a part of this. And he's saying now to Christians who were already ethnically Jew and you were part of this, to Christians that were ethnically Gentile, some other group, this wall of hostility has been torn down. Jews used to hate every other... group. Rome, because it was a multinational empire, when Roman soldiers came into town, they were not all Italian. Not by a mile. There were Greeks in there. Why? Because they'd conquered Greece. There were North Africans. Why? Because they had conquered North Africa. There were Spaniards in there. Why? Because they had conquered Spain. There were Turks in there. Why? They had conquered Turkey. So this multinational... The nations, really, invade and control what God's people believe. This is our inheritance. This is our turf. Jesus shows up and basically says, no, 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 the land's not your inheritance. I, God, my, God himself, I am your inheritance. And so this, this hatred that was, oh, you guys have a different religion. Oh, you're a different color than us. Oh, you don't recognize the same Bible, you know, that we have, whatever. All of these different reasons for us to, oh, you have military control. We think we're supposed to have it. All these reasons to hate each other. And Paul says, If you love Jesus Christ, every single man, woman, and child, now across more than 20 centuries, the church universal, the blood of Jesus Christ has torn down the wall of hostility between you and you. Here's what this means, brothers and sisters, in a practical way, and this is gonna be really, really tough, no matter which side of the aisle you're on. Are you ready? And this is for free, this isn't even in the notes. There's really no room for us, them language inside the Christian Church. It really just shouldn't be. It just really should never happen. There is no us and them inside the Christian Church. And I know that's really difficult. When you lift holy hands free of controversy right next to somebody who votes very differently than you do, that's hard. It's really hard. When there's yet another shooting and you are horrified that the police are being blamed, and they're horrified that somebody could get shot under those circumstances. Because you just have different perspectives on the same event. It's really hard. I get it. And I'm not saying something theoretically. I'm telling you myself. I have my own opinions. I do. And saying it's hot, man. It's hard. You have to plant this flag in your own soul and say. You and I are brothers and sisters no matter what. You worship the same king that I worship. His blood washed you, his blood washed me, and I will not use us and them language when I'm talking about you. Not even in my own mind, in my own heart. This is difficult, but we are we. If Jesus washed you and he washed me, we are we, not us and them. Brothers and sisters, I know this is difficult. It may even feel impossible. You might need to pause this recording right now to, again, pray for yourself. Pray for me. Pray for our church family. I believe that as you continue to study different parts of the New Testament, you would agree with this conclusion. There's no room for us-them language inside the family of faith. It can only damage. It can only tear down. It's hard but families, brothers and sisters, are messy. Families are so messy. It's hard but it's worth it. It's worth it. I want to ask you a theoretical question, those of you who love Jesus, and you envision the wedding feast of the Lamb. If you've read the book of Revelation, you've maybe heard of this, you've studied it before, maybe some of you are hearing about it for the first time. There's a time in the future where the entire Bride of Christ, everybody who has had a transformed heart and loves Jesus, the whole church is uh, married to Jesus, this image of, you know, we'll find out when we get there what it looks like. But, you know, an eternal and all-knowing God is trying to communicate to mere mortals like you and me. And so he uses marriage as as an image of the type of unity that we're going to have with our creator. There'll be no more brokenness. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more distrust. It's going to be wonderful. And I want to ask you a really practical question when we ask ourselves, Is this wall of hostility so that there's horizontal reconciliation? Is that really the inheritance of the church? Is there any other religious group or philosophical idea that can reconcile people horizontally? Is there anything else that I'm saying no? I'm here saying no, no, this is the inheritance of the church. The church of Jesus Christ is the only one that has the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm trying to say. When you ask yourself about the wedding feast of the Lamb, when everything is made right one day, when every tear is wiped from the eye of the children of God, they will hunger no more, they will thirst no more, there's no need for the sun because Jesus Christ himself is the light of the city of God. When everything is made right and we sit down to feast with our Savior, I want to ask you this question. Do you deep down believe the wedding feast of the Lamb is going to have burgers and dogs? Or do you think there also will be chicken and waffles, tamales, bangers and mash? Do you think they're going to have falafel? Are they going to have sushi? Are they going to have curry chicken? Because you see, when God says all nations, he means all nations this feast is going to be of epic proportion, something that you and I can't even imagine the joy. We can't even imagine the level of unity. We can't even imagine the level of reconciliation. What does that table look like in your mind's eye when you imagine it? Brothers and sisters, ethnic reconciliation is the inheritance of the church of Jesus Christ. It belongs to no one else. And this has unbelievable implications for how we love people right now. What we say and do not say and how we say it. Our world is flailing around right now so desperately that they have rejected God in all practical ways and yet still have this desire for different races to treat each other with equity and with love and with respect. But our world has no foundation from which to fight. let let me be really clear. If you believe, for example, that evolution is totally 100% true, you believe that a black man and a white man are just two really lucky pieces of primordial sludge. Wow, how lucky are you? You're not an amoeba. You're not a fern. You're not a bear. You're a human being. Wow, you're really, really lucky. Okay? In this worldview, there is no moral authority over humanity to say that these two groups are equal the black and the white inside homo sapiens—where where is this moral authority where does it come from in what amounts to secular humanism where does it come from human beings if we are the most highly evolved thing in the entire cosmos then we are God functionally speaking ethics have to come from us We decide that racism is good, racism is bad, or racism is an imaginary figment of our imagination. It doesn't really matter. If there is no moral authority, then we live in a world that is dog-eat-dog. It is Christianity that allows me to say, unequivocally and without apology, racism is despicable evil that is offensive to the nostrils of our Creator. It is Christianity that allows me to say that. It is the Bible being completely true that allows me to say that. Evolution doesn't allow you to say that. Primordial sludge can do whatever it wants to primordial sludge. There's no ethical foundation for that. So what I'm saying to those of you who are Christians who believe the Bible is true and embrace it joyfully We are the only ones declaring to our world from God himself, yes, world, you're right, in a sense. You're right that races should be treating each other with love, justice, equity, equality. This should be happening. And let me tell you, as a Christian, let me tell you why you have the same creator. And he has said that you are equal. That's why racism is evil, because God says it is. Brothers and sisters, this is a gospel opportunity in America right now. Our world is right in a weird sort of way. They're right. Racism's terrible. But deep down, if we press in on them, our, our neighbors and our coworkers, our classmates, they don't necessarily know deep down why racism is wrong. And we do. We do know why. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. Third, for my note takers, find hope by remembering that skin color is part of God's good and creative design. Find hope in this, remember that skin color is part of God's good and creative design. I wouldn't even have to reference Bible verses for this one, it's just so logical. When you look at a human being, I will, but just ask yourself what a human being is, hmm? What are we? And there are a lot of answers to that. What is it that shows that we're made in the image of our creator? Every drop, tall, short, red, brown, yellow, black, or white, male or female, skinny or formerly skinny. Every drop of a human being shows that our creator made us in his image. You ever... Notice that we put animals in a zoo and we study them, we analyze behavior. We can take blood samples and see if they're healthy, if there's something in their diet that needs to be changed so we can provide different foods to those animals. Does that not show a fundamental difference between us and those animals? We are not the same. We are not just mammals. We are not because part of being in the made of the image of God is that we have a creative nature and a stewardship nature so we can actually steward other species on earth make sure that there aren't too many mountain lions so there aren't enough deer we can count we can analyze we can look at the different types of plants or whether that fosters the health of another species there is no species on earth like human beings nothing and no one nothing is stewarding the earth accept humanity. And are we always doing a great job? No. Sometimes we're doing a terrible job. But we have the capability. And that's one of many things that shows we are different. A lion has never ever felt an ethical concern after it ate a gazelle. Oh no, what did I do? I just gave this gazelle a terrifying death. I feel awful. I need to talk to somebody about my guilt. No. A lion has never, ever had that thought or that feeling. Never. There are no ethics in the entire created order. There are no ethics for the physical world outside of human beings. There are so many things that show that we are made in our creator's image, male and female. So beautifully depicting the creativity of God. Again, tall and short. Beard or no beard. The different cultures as they evolve through the world, different languages. God is a creative God, and He designed our skin. That no matter, uh, you know, well, there there are theories about how melanin works, but human beings, even though we are still one species, that our melanin can be darker shades or lighter shades. Isn't that interesting? Could you imagine your nine-year-old grandson decides he wants to get into oil painting, and he learns how to paint. He gets some few lessons, and he comes home one day and says, "Grandma, I've painted this picture," and you look at it, and the canvas is all been has all been painted one color, and he's really proud of himself. And you're sitting there scratching your head, um, grandson. You you painted it one color. I I don't understand what's going on. He says, Grandma, you don't understand. This is a special kind of paint. Look at the painting again. And you look at it again, and it's a different color. You go, what? I thought it was this color. He says, Grandma, look at the painting again. You look at the painting again, and it is a different color again. Our God in his infinite creativity created a species where how we look on the outside doesn't even stay the same. From generation to generation to generation, we are look a little darker or a little bit lighter, or you know, a darker person, a lighter person get married and they have a child that splits the difference. This is creative beauty. This is the power of God. This is God showing off. Brothers and sisters, skin color being used as a weapon, that's demonic. Anytime something beautiful is dragged down through the mud, that is the enemy of God trying to get the, the creation of God to hate each other, reject their creator. Skin color should never, ever, nothing should ever be an excuse for hatred, disrespect, disdain, or even apathy. It should never happen. There are essentially three responses in our world right now to skin color. And because I'm a classically trained preacher, all three points start with the same letter. You're welcome. (laughs) There are three things. An attack, avoidance, or adoration. Attack, avoidance, or adoration. And shocker, these first two I'm going to tell you we shouldn't be doing as Christians. Attack, skin color as a weapon skin color as a weapon. I view myself as more important, somehow superior because of my skin color, or I think of you as somehow inferior because of your skin color. I tried to already establish that skin color is a part of God's creativity and beauty as an artist, as a created artist, and for the creation to turn on each other and abuse each other because of their differences is nothing short of demonic. It's unbelievably, unspeakably terrible should be rejected and pushed against in every possible way. Or the second is avoidance. Avoidance. Now this is gonna hurt some feelings, so put on your big boy pants and big girl pants, but this is really important. If skin color is a part of God's creativity, we don't pretend like it's not there. Does that make sense? Say yes. There's a, a bare minimum, I don't know, I'm not gonna go so far as to say it's sin, but I will say it's a huge missed opportunity. When we dodge race, when we run away from it, and try not try to, you know, there's too much drama in the world about race, I'm just gonna pretend. And we use words like colorblind. I really want to encourage you, again, I don't think it's a sin, but if you call Jesus your Lord, I really want to encourage you away from a philosophy and language of colorblindness. And, and here's why I want to encourage you away from it. With gender, with the sexes, male and female, you would never, ever say, oh, I, I don't see sex. I, I don't see gender. You know, I just treat everybody the same. You would never say that. When your five-year-old daughter goes into the Target restroom for women and you see somebody that looks like an adult male follow her into that restroom... You're not going to say, oh, I don't don't see gender. Nah, I, I just treat people all the same. No, there are differences that come directly from a creative, powerful, loving, ingenious God who made us. Male and female, he created them, right? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We embrace maleness and femaleness to the glory of God. That's the third A, adoration. I give adoration because of his creative design. I don't avoid it, I don't pretend it's not there, and I don't use it as an excuse to attack others. I wanna encourage you, and, I, and I, let's be honest, I'm talking to white people right now. If you are any other color, you're probably <laughs> never tempted toward this idea. To say that I don't see race is a huge missed opportunity to just say, God, you made that person so beautiful. God, you're so creative, wow. No different, literally, I'm talking about even in the colors of a flower. God, you made that flower yellow. You're so creative. You're so powerful. Thank you. You created that knowing I was going to get to see it today. God, you made that tree so beautiful. God, you, you made the stars come out tonight. And I want to give you praise and adoration and glory. The scriptures are filled with commands and insinuations that everything God has created is for the human heart and eyes to look at it and end up, Exulting in praise. God doesn't make things just for kicks. He makes things that we see Him, Romans 1 again, the creation, and we go, There is a God, and we fall on our knees in adoration and praise and worship. Brothers and sisters, I want to put forward to you that although our world is busy hating each other and weird responses to hate over color of skin, avoidance is not our best option. I believe it's adoration. Imagine how your coworker who does not love Christ, imagine their response when you tell them, man, race is such a missed opportunity to give God praise for what a beautiful human being he made. That's a narrative that you're not going to get from the news channels right now. Just enjoying God with a smile on your face over his creative beauty. He's an artist. You're not a creator without being an artist. He's an artist and he deserves praise and honor and glory. That's really what's missing in the narrative right now in the news. That's what's missing. Adoration is what's missing. Brothers and sisters, the way your brother looks, the way your sister looks, the way a little child looks, the way a flower looks, the way an animal looks, the way the sun, moon, and stars look are invitations to praise They're invitations to praise. And maybe that's what makes racism so damnable. Is a tool that was designed to give God adoration, has been turned into a weapon to bludgeon his image bearers with it. That's perhaps why it is so unbelievably, unspeakably evil. Third, find hope. By remembering that Jesus died to crucify self-exaltation, you want hope in the midst of this racial strife. Here it is: remember that Jesus died to crucify self-exaltation, lifting oneself up. I'm awesome. I'm proud, proud in the bad sense. I'm higher than you. I'm better than you. Um, Aryan nation, KKK, all of that nonsense. Jesus died to crucify that. Allow me to prove it. Please go with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians, chapter 2. If you're still at Ephesians, just go one book to the right. Philippians, chapter 2. Also, the Apostle Paul writing to a different church who's in northern Greece. You must have the same attitude. Sorry, this is verse 5, Philippians 2 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, whoo, are you ready? Mm, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you hear it, ARCF? Did you hear that? I want to draw your attention to the movement of that passage. There's a down, up, down in that passage. Let's talk about it briefly. We got to talk about this in Disciple Group Wednesday night, and it kind of got me warmed up, got me excited. First is downward motion. Jesus doesn't think that of, as a, a, of holding on to his rights and his status as the second person of the Trinity, sitting on his throne in, from a sense eternity past, and the comforts and the privileges of being in heaven. He doesn't hold on to those things. He says, no, I'm going to obey my Father by coming down to earth, taking on flesh, being born of a virgin, living a perfect life even though I'm tempted with every sin that everyone else is tempted with, and lo- lowered himself even further to a criminal's death on a cross. So the start of the movement of the passage is Jesus lowering himself. And then the passage turns upward, that God the Father would exalt him. Because of that lowering, he humbled himself. The Father exalts him. What? To the highest position of possible authority in the cosmos. Gives him a name, an authority, an identity that is above every other name. Why? So that, at that name, at the name of Jesus, now the motion is downward again. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So downward motion, Jesus humbles himself. Upward motion, God the Father exalts him. Why does he exalt him? So that all mere mortals like you and me, but angels, demons, everything in the created order bows the knee ultimately to Christ. Whether willingly choosing to be his ally by his blood, his mercifully washing our sins away, or against our will, at the point of a sword, bowing the knee before we are judged. We are going to bow or we are going to bow. That's what the Bible teaches about Christ's authority. Did you hear how there's no room in that for me to make a big deal out of myself? Hmm? Even my Savior, who is morally perfect, your Savior, if you're a Christian, who is morally perfect, did not exalt himself. We're talking about the Savior who, the night he was betrayed, strips out of his clothes and puts a towel around his waist the way a slave would and washed the feet, washed donkey mess and other things off the feet of those who traveled everywhere in sandals on the same roads as animals. He, he took the position of a slave practically, showing what he was about to do on the cross. If Jesus doesn't exalt himself, who on earth does Greg Kaiser think he is when I make a big deal out of myself? When I think the world should revolve around me, everything should be easy, everything should go my way. Who do you think you are? There is no room for self-exaltation in the family of God. He went to the cross to crucify all of the old, Greg, all of the old self, whoever you used to be before Jesus saved you and transformed you. He has nailed that to the cross. It is now dead and it must not be treated as if it's alive. Brothers and sisters, racism is self-exaltation. That's what it is. You can say sexism, right, is self-exaltation. There are all kinds of ways that a human being, I take myself and I make myself more important than you somehow. Anybody ever, raise your hand there at home, I had a boss that just she or he was on a power trip. They'd worked really hard for that position. Maybe they had been treated like dirt for 15 years on their way to this particular promotion and now they were gonna treat everybody else like dirt. There are a lot of ways that self-exaltation plays itself out. Tons of ways. Racism is one of them. And Jesus bled and died on a cross that all forms of Greg lifting himself up would be crucified and dead and gone. And you know what? I'm not cursed by that. I'm blessed by that. Jesus has saved me from making a big deal out of me. And if you're a Christian, he has saved you from making a big deal out of you. That is good news. And if you're not a Christian today listening to this, I hope you hear the essence of the Christian me- message. Arrogance in the Christian life is such a unbelievable. Um, it just makes no sense. It's this weird paradox. But the thing is, our Savior is crushing our pride. He's working on it. He's trying to squeeze every drop of pride out of a Christian. And he's working on it. He's shaping and it's painful and we buck against it sometimes. Our flesh is willing. We're trying so hard to surrender and be fully like Jesus. But the flesh still wants to make a big deal out of who I am. I'm awesome. I have my rights. I'm amazing. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. We judge each other. We self-exalt right now because of our ideologies. I'm smarter than you. I I have the correct position on this issue, and you don't. Therefore, clearly you're an idiot. Jesus died to crucify self-exaltation. So here's what I want to say to you today if you're exploring faith. My encouragement to you in light of all of this. Be reconciled to God today. I know that that statement presumes a lot. But I want to encourage you, maybe you've already been reading the Bible, and maybe I'm telling you now for the first time, all human beings we are children of rebellion, that we inherit this natural tendency to rebel against God. We inherit from our parents, Adam and Eve, the first humans who rebelled against God. We all naturally have this desire to say, no, God, I'm smarter than you. No, I'm going to do it my way. And Jesus died on a cross to forgive that cosmic treason against our creator. I want to invite you into the Christian faith today, not as a ways toward a means. Do I believe that racial reconciliation is the inheritance of the church? Yes, it's one of many parts of what we inherit being reconciled to God. But we do not come after Jesus and say that we love him, say that we trust him just because we want his stuff, right? Anybody at home ever felt like your kid was buttering you up because they were about to ask for something, right? I promise you that there ultimately is no reconciling between red, brown, yellow, black, and white, apart from the blood of Jesus. But we do not come to Jesus so that we'll get racial reconciliation. That would be an abomination. We come to him because we love him. Just like we want our kids to love us because they love us and we love them. There's a relationship. Racial reconciliation is one of countless benefits and blessings of allowing Christ to be sovereign over the world. One day there's going to be a perfect government as well because he'll be at the head of it. One day we won't sin against each other anymore because he's going to be the head of all things. Uh, One day there won't be taxes. One day there won't be sickness or brokenness. One day there'll be no more death. And we do not love Jesus Christ because of the cool things that come from that reconciliation. We love him because we've stared at him. We've considered him. And so if you're investigating faith today, I really want to encourage you to stay in one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, those four books are first-hand accounts, and to some degree second-hand accounts, and one of them, the Gospel of Mark. and Luke, Mark and Luke are second-hand accounts, Matthew and John are first-hand, of who uh, Jesus is, what he did on earth, and if you stare into him as a person, how he treated people, how he deals with us 2,000 years later, and you find him more valuable than anything else in the world, that is because by seeing who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit just gave you a new heart. And congratulations, you are now a Christian. You're a part of the family of God. And if you believe that today, you want to give over your whole self to Jesus today, I want you to shoot me an email or text me that we can connect. We can maybe even meet for coffee. Some places let like have outdoor seating. Uh, my email is greg e, as in eggs for breakfast, kaiser at gmail.com. greg e kaiser at gmail.com. And I want you to just shoot me a quick email saying, I'm a Christian now. I believe this for the first time. Or text me. My cell is 916 960 3869. 916 960 3869. I want you to text me and say, Greg, I believe the gospel. And I'll reach out to you. We'll get coffee and we'll connect and talk about what it means practically to begin this journey in Christ. For those of you that already love Jesus, what what do I do with all this racial reconciliation stuff? Okay, it's the inheritance of the church. We can't ask the world to do it. They don't understand where it's going to come from. So what do I do, Greg? What do I do practically? Well, I'm glad you asked. I just happened to have a short list of here things, things here in front of me that I want to encourage you to think about if you love Jesus Christ. What are some practical ways that we can take baby steps toward this banquet feast of the Lamb one day that's going to have sushi and chicken and waffles and tamales? How do we take baby steps toward this beautiful kingdom where all nations bow the knee? How do we get there? Well, I'll encourage you to consider a few things. Number one, and this is hard, Listen with an open heart to the experiences of someone who doesn't look like you. Listen with an open heart to the experiences of someone who doesn't look like you. I have a dear brother in the Lord who pastors a church up in Reading. And um, I don't think he would mind me passing on the story because he did put this story on Facebook. This happened just two months ago, mind you, for for those of you that are tempted to think that racism's in the past. Um, As a white guy, I'm tempted to believe that sometimes because I don't see it personally. He's wearing a mask, walking into a grocery store, and has a white man say to him, We don't wear masks here. Go back to China. Well, for one, he's not Chinese. (laughs) So there's one problem. But that's a story and the reality of it and how it hurts me and how I I allow my, my heart to go there. That is not something I have ever experienced. And it's not untrue simply because I haven't experienced it. Right? If I did not have a brother whose melanin shade is different than my own, and therefore some of his experiences are different than my own, I would not have heard that story and I wouldn't have known. It does not mean that every Asian American is hearing the exact same thing, but it does mean there are things happening that I don't know about firsthand, right? The truth is always a little bit messier than these cute little sound bites in the evening news. It's always a little bit more complex. I want to encourage you to listen with an open heart to the experiences of someone who doesn't look like you. Second, Invite a coworker and their family over for dinner. I know what you're thinking, Greg, there's COVID. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know right now very well that you know which friends are just over this. You have certain friends that are done. They're not wearing masks unless they have to. You know who they are. I want you to invite a friend, right? Invite their family over for a meal that you might not normally think to invite. We all know what it's like to think, oh, here are my friends and family. Here are my coworkers. Here are my neighbors I get along with better and it's easier to connect, sometimes, maybe just maybe, we should reach out to somebody that it's a little bit harder to connect with. Maybe that divide is political. Maybe that divide is cultural or linguistic. There are all kinds of divides that if we are going to be a church that really believes everyone should hear the gospel, we're gonna have to make difficult decisions, right? You know, I'm not totally uncomfortable comfortable inviting that family over for dinner. But I think Jesus just might use the relationship that's built. honey, let's invite them over anyway. Let's invite them over. Let's feed them good food. Maybe, just maybe, it'll be practice for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Third, I'm going to ask you, if you're a Christian, to rethink your social media feed. To include that of friends, classmates, coworkers of various ethnicities, political affiliations, blue collar, white collar, no collar, different values, in order to destroy your own echo chamber. If you're a Christian, I want to invite you to destroy your own echo chamber where all you hear are the same opinions that you already agree with because of you've already blocked and unfollowed everybody who sees the world different than you see it. I want to beg you, if you're a Christian, to consider tearing down that echo chamber Do not allow Facebook to just be this place where I can relax and unwind safely only thinking the same thoughts that I already agree with. But what if you allowed it to be a coffee shop? What if you allowed Facebook to be a public forum where you know before you log on, you're not going there for comfort. You're going there to see people where they really are. What they really think, what they really believe in. Every once in a while you're going to be angry. You just know in advance. Every once in a while, my blood's going to boil because I disagree with that. But if you are a Christian, and especially if you're a member of Antelope Road Christian Fellowship, I want you to know my evil plan. My evil plan is not that you should sit every Sunday enjoying my sermons. My evil plan is to train you to think like a missionary, to act like a missionary, to see the culture not as something that needs to conform to my will, but it's what I have to work with in bringing the Gospel to it. I need to know what people believe. I need to know so that I know how to bring the good news of Jesus to them. I need to know how people think. I need to know the culture, the customs, the values, the foods, the festivals. I need to know all of it. I need to know the hashtags. So brothers and sisters, if if you're going to think and act more like a missionary, which I hope you will, I really want to encourage you to allow a broad horizon in your online communication see just how many opinions there are out there and yes you're gonna see people hating each other maybe even hating against your own position but while we are tempted to allow our blood to boil truly it is an opportunity to stop and say how do I bring an unbelievable love into this hatred it may shocker it may even mean going offline When I see hatred online, and I know that person lives a few miles from me, maybe I need to drive over to their house and serve them. Just shocker. What would happen if every person who spewed hate online, you showed up and mowed their grass? What would happen? What would happen if you cooked Sherry Marat's amazing berry cobbler? And brought it to their doorstep with a little note and just says, I was thinking about you. And they don't have to know that your thoughts were, Dag nabbit, I really disagree with their politics. They don't have to know what the thought was. What would happen if the church just started serving? I don't know, like, as if somebody told us to love our enemies. I feel like I heard that somewhere. Feel like I heard. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Hmm feel like I heard that somewhere. Oh wait, it's Jesus! (laughs) Right? What if our Facebook feed was not a place that we went to to find comfort or even cat videos, but what if we asked ourselves, we opened up Facebook saying, Lord, you are about to show me how people are hurting. Please give me the love to serve people that are hurting and they're lashing out with their words. God, show me how to serve people today. Fourth, if you call yourself a Christian, I want to encourage you to read a book that is by or about a Christian who's from a different culture than you or from a different century. Christian biography, Christian autobiography, I want you to consider, this is an area of growth for me personally, See, getting into the heart of a woman or a man who is trying to live out the faith, but they're trying to do it in early 20th century Netherlands, like Corrie ten Boom, or trying to live out the Christian faith in third century North Africa, like Augustine, I want you to encourage to read books about Luis Palau, what it's like in the mid and late 20th century Argentina to bring the gospel to bear and to live out the gospel there. Or people like Watchman Nee, how to live out the gospel under the curtain of communist China in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Or somebody like Frederick Douglass, trying to live out the gospel in the middle of an America where there are people for slavery and against slavery, and both groups call themselves Christians. I want to encourage you to read biography and autobiography of Christians that have been trying to do the same thing you're trying to do. How do we live out this life? But they are not trapped inside the chaos of year 2020. They are outside of it and they can speak a prophetic word to us that blesses us about what kind of things provide consistent chaos just in a broken world, and maybe perhaps what are some specific parts of 21st century culture that you and I can't see it because we're inside it. I want to encourage you to read books from brothers and sisters that are not trapped inside the bubble of 2020, but they are somewhere else. They're in the 17th century Italy trying to live out the faith. ARCF, I want to encourage you to be readers. I want to encourage you to take a missional approach to your Facebook feed. I want to encourage you to invite somebody over for dinner this week who you might not normally invite over for dinner. And I want you to listen with open hearts to the experiences of people who don't have the same skin color as you. And maybe, just maybe, we're going to find out that the racial disunity of the early 21st century America is exactly what God had in mind for the church to stand up, rise up, speak up of this is who our Savior is, where black and white are all saved by a Jew. I love you, ARCF. I hope you know that. I love you so much, but Jesus loves you more, and that is why he's telling us the truth today from his word. I want to encourage you right now, anything inside you that's angry, I want to encourage you to lay it down at the cross of Jesus Christ. It is so possible that I made a mistake today in my human brokenness or out of my bias. It is so possible. And I want us to pray together right now that anything Greg said that was broken or short-sighted, we're going to lay it down and, and let it go and hope it evaporates. But we're also going to pray that what God's Holy Spirit truly has said through his word, we're going to ask God to bear his full weight in against our hearts to push us as a family so that we would be exactly where we need to be. ARCF, pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, we are your church. You are the chief shepherd and we elders are under shepherds. You lead us to green grass. You lead us beside still waters. You lead us toward rest. You put oil on our heads and you keep us from wolves. You are such a good shepherd. We love you. We adore you, God. And we even like it when you have to smack us around a little bit because we've wandered off. God, I ask by your Holy Spirit for nothing less than the reconciliation of the so-called white church and the so-called black church in America. God, I ask because in my own heart and in my own belief, unbelief, God, I have to confess that I don't even believe it's possible. But neither is walking on water and neither is the resurrection of the dead. So I ask you to glorify yourself through the behavior, the thoughts, the passions, the actions, and the words of the redeemed here in the United States and around the world. I ask you to do this for your glory. I ask you to do this, that people would get saved. And Lord, we here at ARCF, frankly, we ask that we'd get to be a part of it, that we would baptize men and women and children of our city because we didn't see race as a, as a political football. We saw it as an opportunity for the blood of Jesus to bring healing. We ask for this in a strong, precious name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, Amen.